Well, good morning, New Life. It's good to be with you all. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis, Genesis chapter 17, sorry. And as you do, uh, thank you, Pastor Will, for the invitation to preach. Uh, I have met just a few of you, but thank you all because I feel so much at home uh, here uh, in many ways because of the greeting and the welcome I've received. But also, uh, I grew up with Pastor Will's wife, Kathy, in Virginia and went to college with Pastor Min and his wife, Helen. So uh, there is a real sense of, of uh, familiar faces and a, and a feeling of home here. So thank you all. If you are here today and you are also, like me, new to new life, let me extend the welcome I've received from this church family to you. Uh, whether you are looking for a new church home or maybe this is the first time ever that you've ever been to a church, I want you to feel the sense of home that, that I believe you'll find here in this place. And you're kind of joining New Life as they're in a series uh, looking at the life of Abraham. And through this, their, their, their yearly goal is to really see what it means to be uh, called to Christ and called to serve in light of that. And so we want to look at the life of Abraham today from Genesis 17, verses 1 to 8. So if you're able, I want to invite you now to stand for the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abraham fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I've made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Please be seated. A comedian once joked that marriage is just a, a, a relationship of reports. Husbands and wives give reports on how they slept the night before. They give reports on what they're going to do that day. Right? They're gonna, they give reports on what happened at work. And they give reports on what the kids did. If you're married with children, you know what that's like. You wake up and you go, how did you sleep? And your wife or husband says, not good. And you have to act like all of a sudden you are really interested, right? Oh, what happened? Wow. How do we fix that? The thing about these reports is, it's not that these marriages are dead. It's not indicative of something that's necessarily broken, but it, it's a sense of dullness, right? Life has just become so routine that we just kind of do this habitually day after day after day. And one time at an anniversary dinner, it hit me that this is where my marriage was when I was talking about what was happened, happening to me at work that day and my wife looks up at me and she goes, how do you think our marriage is doing? And I said, what do you mean? 
What are you talking about? Our marriage is great. And let me tell you, you don't want to spend an anniversary dinner fighting about the state of your relationship, right? But it's not just marriages. This can happen with parents, with your kids, coworkers, classmates, even neighbors. These relationships aren't necessarily ruptured. They just become so routine. And this can often be true of our relationship with God. We go through the motions. It's not that we've lost faith in him, right? But we've lost the festivity that we once had when we were in his presence. It's not that we don't love him. We just lost the delight that we once had in him. Here in Genesis 17, we come to Abraham uh, 13 years after what you learned last week from Pastor Will. He preached on Genesis 16, uh, and and you saw there how God chased after and loved Abram even in his frail faith. But here in 17, 13 years later, Abram's relationship with God and others is so routine, it's so dull that God seeks to revive Abram's faith and through his life to revive our faith. So this morning, we want to see how God revives our faith, our routine faith, in three ways. First, God revives our routine faith by revealing his presence, revealing his presence. Secondly, by repeating his promises, repeating his promises. And thirdly, by reasserting his power, reasserting his power. So he revives our faith by revealing his presence, repeating his promises, and reasserting his power. At the previous church I served at as a pastor, I got to work with a really special couple. Uh, this couple led the premarital class at our church. And uh, uh, they had been married for a long time, and someone asked them, how do you keep your marriage relationship so strong? And the husband answered, we just keep showing up. We just keep being there for one another. This week, the couple posted on Facebook in celebration of their 48th wedding anniversary. And they put a picture of their uh, first kind of year of marriage back in 1975. And during their first year of marriage, and under it, it said, we are two imperfect people who refuse to give up on each other. Right? Like, that seems so simple. Like, that's what it takes. You, You keep showing up no matter what. You don't give up on each other. If that's true for two imperfect people to have that kind of relationship, how much more greater do you think it is when we have a perfect God who refuses to give up and keeps showing up? Here in Genesis 17, we find Abram in a rut. As I said earlier, 13 years have passed since the end of Genesis 16, and the daily of life has gotten the best of him. Right? Have you ever felt that way, that life's just so hard because it's just so daily? And Abram, he hasn't lost his faith, but he lacks that freshness of faith. He's resigned to this routine of residing in Canaan, of raising Ishmael, and kind of refereeing the relationship between Sarai and Hagar. Right? That's life now. But God wants so much more than routine. And so he seeks to revive Abram's faith by revealing his presence to Abram. And how did he do this? God revealed his presence in two very specific ways. First, let's look at our Bibles here. It says in verse 1, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared. The Lord appeared to Abram. God literally shows up. 
He shows up. There was only one other time that these exact words, the Lord appeared to Abram as youth. And it was back in Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis 12, 7, we see that when Abram enters into the land of Canaan, the Lord appeared to Abram in Canaan. And now here in Genesis 17, 24 years later, God comes to Abram in the same way and in the same place. Why? Because God was telling Abram, I refuse to give up on you. God was reconfirming to him that he is covenanting with Abram. And this is the beautiful aspect of the gospel, that God does not give up on us. But second, God doesn't just show up visibly, he speaks vocally. What do we find? We find that God actually talks divine words to Abram. The last time God spoke to Abram was back in Genesis chapter 15. Now, we don't know exactly at Genesis chapter 15 how old Abram was. He was somewhere, uh, it was, it was, he was somewhere uh, in, in the range of kind of like 14 to 24 years younger, right? For us, it's so easy to look at the Bible and just be like, oh, that was one page. That's a huge chunk of life. But God shows up to speak to Abram again. And he speaks words. He speaks words because he's saying, I want to show you who I am. But God doesn't just come to Abram. He calls Abram to come to him. What does he say? God says, walk before me and be blameless. The call to walk before me is a call to an ongoing relationship with God. God wants Abram to know that his life is lived visibly before God. But here's the beautiful thing. When God reveals his presence to Abram, Abram doesn't just see God. Abram learns that he's also seen by God. Isn't that a wonderful truth? The call to be blameless, then, is to live rightly in light of that relationship. The presence of God doesn't just revive a faith in the heart. It revives a faith that's lived out loud. God reveals his presence to Abram to cultivate this kind of relationship to revive Abram's routine faith and his dull faith for a delightful one that rejoices in him. And after Genesis 17, as you keep reading, what you find is that God repeats this pattern again and again and again. So new life. Let me ask you, what is the state of your faith in our God today? Is your relationship with God feeling dull and routine? Do you find dullness is a state more than delight when you think about the Lord each day? I have good news for you. The God who revealed himself to Abram reveals himself to us even today. And he wants to revive this faith in you by bringing you back into his presence. And he does this in some amazing ways that we call the ordinary means of grace. Okay? It is through the reading and hearing of God's word, prayer, worship, and the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper that God reminds us that he is with us and that we live before him. We visibly see and remember how he has washed us clean. As we take of the elements in, in, in the Lord's Supper and in communion, we visibly remember the body that was broken for us and the bloodshed for us. 
It is pictures of what God has done and because of who he is. But he also speaks to us. The word is his special revelation that leads us to our sanctification, our sustenance, and our satisfaction in him and him alone. Prayer is how we speak with God, believing in faith that he is near and he hears us. Didn't we just confess that? Baptism and the Lord's Supper tells us that he saves us and sustains us. And we do this together as the church in worship. Because when we unite together, we come together in the presence of God who calls us. Just like he did with Abram, he does with us. We do these things routinely so that our faith will not grow routine. Right? We do these things routinely so that our faith will not grow routine. They're here to revive our faith from dullness to delight. So we can experience his presence. Pastor Ray Ortland writes this. The idea of the means of grace answers these questions. How do I, as a believer, access the grace of the Lord for my many needs? Where do I go? What do I do to connect with the real help he gives to sinners and sufferers here in this world? Our gracious Lord is not playing catch me if you can with us. He wants us to be sure of him. Come to him and draw strength from him so that we can live fully for him. Therefore, brothers and sisters, the Lord is before you and calls you to walk before him because he wants to revive your faith in him. Make a commitment today to study and meditate on the word, to pray without ceasing, to never neglect the gathering of believers in worship and to partake in baptism and the Lord's Supper so that you can graciously experience that he comes to you, communes with you, and will conform you into his image. As God reveals his presence, God also then revives our faith by repeating his promises. Uh, When my now 15-year-old son was a toddler, he loved Thomas the Train. He loved toys, Uh, and toy trains in particular. Like, Normal kids sleep with stuffed animals. My son slept with train tracks, all right? And he loved these things. And so one day, I said to him, I'm going to go buy you a, a new toy, new train this weekend. And I was like, so at the end of the week, we'll go and we'll buy a, a new toy. And his eyes got big. And he smiled. And he looked at me. And he goes, Now? And I said, no, at the end of the week, guess what happened one hour later? Now? Right? No, at the end of the week, before bed. Now? Over the next few days, he just kept asking again and again, are we going now to get my train? What about now? How about now? And finally, I called him one day. He was crying by himself in his room. And I asked him, what's going on? And he told me he was sad because he was not getting his new train. And I said, I promise I'm going to give it to you. I promise I'm going to give it to you. I promise I'm going to give it to you. And finally, when the weekend came, we drove to the Toys R Us in our neighborhood, and we bought him a train. And as most parents do, you have to turn to your son, right, because sons don't naturally do this. He goes, what do you have to say to daddy? Right? And I expect him to say, thanks, Dad. Thanks for my train. But what he said was, thanks for keeping your promise. While we chuckle at how a child acts for having to wait a few days, 
are we really much better as adults? Often God doesn't fulfill his promises right away, and with that waiting, our faith becomes dull and routine, doesn't it? That was true for Abram. In Genesis 12, 2, God promised Abram these words, I will make you into a great nation. This is the promise of progeny, of children. God repeated this promise again just five uh, verses later in Genesis 12, 7, saying to Abram, to your offspring I will give this land. Then he repeated it a third time in Genesis 13, 16, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. And then a fourth time in Genesis 15, 5, look to the heavens and number the stars if you are able to number them. So shall your offspring be. 24 years later, we find Abram still waiting for those promises. He's tired of saying, now, now. We can empathize with Abram's long waiting, right? We understand why his faith might have grown routine and dull. So when God comes to Abraham and says to him these words, God tells Abram exactly what he's going to do. And he doesn't say new things, he repeats old promises. That I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. That's a fifth time God's repeated that promise. And then just in verse 4, he repeats it a sixth time. Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. And then a seventh time in verse 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. God repeats the very promises he gave to Abram three more times in these short verses. I promise, I promise, I promise. But God doesn't just want Abram to hear the promises. He wants Abram to hold those promises. In our world today, we pick names. Some names are popular. Some names we think have a cool meaning. Some names are unique. Some names are classic. But we pick names more as identifying markers of an individual. But that wasn't the case in Abram's time. In that time, fathers named their children based on their wishes for that child's character and destiny. What does Abram's name mean? His name means exalted to his father. So Abram's father, Terah, saw Abram only as a means of telling the world about how good he was. So when people saw Abram's life, Terah wanted the world around them to say, man, Terah was a good dad. But Abram's heavenly father had a different plan and purpose altogether. So God changes Abram's name to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. Now, when Abram would hear the name that God gave to him, he would have to hear the very promises of God and hold on to them again and again and again. Pastor Kent Hughes writes, the effect that every time people called him Abraham, they reiterated God's promise that he would be a father of a multitude. How many times did that happen each day? 50? 100? Good morning, father of a multitude. Here's lunch, father of a multitude. Good night, father of a multitude. Get the point, Abe? God changes and confirms a new character and a new destiny for Abraham. And Abraham never saw how his descendants would become so numerous. He never saw them become great nations or have kings come from his lineage. But in this new name, God revived Abraham's faith by being a reminder 
that he is a God of promises. It's easy for us to become dejected when the promises of God do not come now, right? So what's the remedy? We need to hear those promises again. What are his promises? I'm going to invite you, church family, to just close your eyes for a second and hear the words of God. When you're tired, our God repeats in his promises, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. When you have sinned, he repeats in promise, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. When you are scared and alone, he repeats in promise, I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. You can open your eyes. We could keep going, but there's a Super Bowl today at 3.30. But the promises of God far outweigh the time that we have here. We go back to these promises because in it we realize our faith is revived as we remember what 2 Corinthians 1.20 said. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. We just confess through the Heidelberg Catechism that what the word amen means is that it is certain and true. Do you believe that? Therefore, brothers and sisters, do not lose heart and do not lose hope. When you look at your circumstances and it doesn't feel like anything's going to change, stop looking at your circumstances and look to your creator. Right? When you're dull in your faith, delight in the one who is faithful. Go back to what he says in his promises. Because our God is not like us. He's not like us earthly parents. Our father does not grow tired of repeating his promises to us again and again and again. Here's the thing we have to know, that when God renames Abraham, he says, I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. The promise is not fulfilled yet, but God spoke in the past tense. Why? Because if God promises it, it's as good as done. And that makes faith, that makes what faith is truly a remarkable thing. Because what makes faith faith is trusting God in our waiting. Dr. R.C. Sproul once said, faith involves trusting in the future promises of God and waiting for their fulfillment. We don't trust God's promises in faith because we have the fulfillment of those promises now. We trust God's promises in faith as we wait for their fulfillment. That the waiting itself is part of our reviving of our faith. Because we know that our God does exactly what he says. By revealing his presence and repeating his promises, God lastly revives our faith by reasserting his power. Listen to this. Here in Genesis 17, God repeats his promise to multiply Abram, making him a father of multitude of nations, from whom nations and kings will come and give to them the land of Canaan forever. Simple question. Let's look at the application of this Bible study. What can Abram do now to make those promises come to fruition? Nothing. Nothing. There's nothing in Abram's power that can make any of these things happen. Actually, 13 years earlier, one chapter earlier, Abram tried to take matters into his own hands. And it did not bring about the promises, it just brought about more problems. So if Abram can't do it, 
who will do it? God says he has the power to do it. When God appears to Abram, I want to go back to verse 1 here. He says this. When, the Lord, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. I am God Almighty. The Hebrew word here is the divine name of God, El Shaddai. Right? And the best interpretation we have of this name is God the Overpowerer or God the All-Powerful. That's why we translate it as God the Almighty. God reveals this name to Abraham to remind him who is in control. Instead of saying, okay, Abraham, here's what you got to do, God says, I'm God, you're not, I will do it. God says the words, I will, five times in these few verses. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you. I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings. I will be their God. These things are impossibilities for a man like Abram to do. What the scripture teaches, what is impossible with man is possible with God. To revive Abram's faith, God is reestablishing his rightful place as God in Abram's life. That the world doesn't revolve around Abram, but it revolves around who God is. He's reasserting his power as the only one who can fulfill these promises. There's a call and response in the African-American church where the preacher will say, won't he do it? And the congregation replies, yes, he will. Abram's faith needed to know the power of God so that every single time when things weren't happening the way he thought, that Abram could say, won't he do it? Not won't I do it. Won't he do it? And could respond, yes, he will. And by doing it, God not only fulfills his promise through his power, but he fulfills his promise through his own person. The ultimate offspring of God promised to Abraham was not Ishmael, nor later would it be Isaac. But Galatians 3.16 tells us, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, is given through Abraham's, Abraham's lineage. God Almighty would send his Son in flesh for us from the family of Abraham. And Jesus is the ultimate revealing of God's presence. Colossians 1.15 says he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. And Jesus said of himself in John 14, 9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. But he's not just God made visible. He's also the living word of God. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 declares long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. By his son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom all things, also he created the world. Jesus is his ultimate king from the line of David, just as God had promised to Abraham. Jesus came to live the life we couldn't live by walking before God, and he was blameless. And in his death on the cross, Jesus exchanged his righteousness for our sinfulness, and in his power, God raised Christ from the dead and gave him new life. This is why we declare that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. 
And we know that on this day in Genesis 17, Abraham's faith was revived because Jesus spoke about himself in John 8.52. He said, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. If you're here today and you do not consider yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, we thank you for being here. Because we know your choosing to be here is no small thing. But if you're here, it's probably because there's something in your life that feels like, is this all there is to this life? It's become so routine, so dull, just each day being drowned out by the daily. We want to tell you some good news. That there is a God who wants to give you a faith in him. He doesn't do it in some impersonal way by doing routines and rituals. He does it in a very personal way through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the present of God revealed to us. He's the fulfillment of God's promises, and he is the power of God who we believe will save. Christianity is not about rules. It's about a relationship with this God. And in this relationship, he changes everything. We call you not only to believe today, but if you want to know more about him, grab any one of us and ask, because we want to tell you more about this great God in Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, then letting God reassert his power in our lives is, is the gracious gift of God. Only God Almighty would choose to be God in the flesh. No, let me correct that. Only God Almighty could become God in flesh. Only God Almighty could be killed and raised from the dead. Only God Almighty could save sinners from their sins. And only God Almighty could rise from the dead. So let's let God be God Almighty. So when our faith is routine and dull, we can say to each other, we can say to ourselves, won't he do it? And we can reply, yes, he will. Here's a beautiful reality. It doesn't end there. We still stand on the promises of God today. There are promises that have still yet to be fulfilled. Because after his resurrection, Jesus who died and rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven and is right now seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And he promises to return in all his glory. And when he returns, he will come to dwell with us in his promised land. And on that day, our faith will be made sight. We will see the face of our Savior, and we will hear his voice. We will no longer have to wait for promises. Instead, we will worship and praise because all promises have been fulfilled in him. We will stand before him no longer as sinners, but as blameless because of the blood of the Lamb. On that day, he will be enthroned as God Almighty, and we will declare along with nations, tribes from all time and all places saying blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. And all God's people will say, amen. Church, won't he do it? Won't he do it? Yes, he will. Until that day comes, May your faith be revived in Christ and Christ alone. Let's pray together.
God, we thank you that you are a father who so loves children made in your image that you gave us the good news in Jesus who by the power of the Spirit revives us today not just to hear another sermon but to hear your voice speaking. For those of us who feel dull, Lord, grow delight in us because the gospel is true. Because Jesus is seated on the throne and he reigns. And we know your promises are yes and amen. They are certain and true. So, Lord, when we are tempted to lose heart, we turn to you and pray continually, show us more of Christ. We ask that for new life. We ask that for all believers. Because we do not pray this just for our sake, but for the sake of Jesus, your son. Amen.